Today's scripture is taken from Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. I uh, want to particularly welcome back the team that went to Haiti. If you guys are here, if you want to stand up. Good to see you. Come on. Come on. Stand up. Good to see you guys. Welcome home. Uh, we, well, you'll be hearing next week uh, a report on the Haiti trip, but uh, really thankful for the prayers of this community and the sending of this community. Uh, I don't know how the second week went, but we had a great time the first week. So maybe it was really bad after that. But it was, it was awesome, and we're really thankful for the chance to go and, and partner with the folks in Haiti. Um, well, today we're starting a new series in the book of Jonah. Jonah is one of those small books at the end of the Old Testament. If you go to uh, Matthew and take a left and go back about eight books, okay? Take a left turn at Matthew, go back eight books, you'll find the book of Jonah. Um, it's two pages in the Bibles on your, on your chair over here, 774 and 775. If you want to take one of these Bibles home with you, they are a gift to you. We'd be glad to share one of these with you. I ask you if you'd be reading this as we jump into this series over the next five weeks. It's not long material, so you can, you can hack this. You know, um, I am willing to bet that if you have never read the Bible or don't know much about the Bible, you would be able to say, yeah, I've heard of the book of Jonah. This is, you know, this is the book, this is the, the story in the Old Testament about the guy who gets swallowed by a fish, right? Um, and next week, we will tackle the fish story, right? Next week, we will tackle the fish. Thank you. Thanks for laughing. Yeah. Um, next week, we're going to look at the fish question. But, um, you know, this is not a story about a fish. This is not a story about a fish really at all. The fish is not the main point. This is a story about a man who is allergic to God. This is a story about a man who's allergic to God. And I think it's very timely for us to talk about being allergic to God because this is allergy season, right? I mean, some of you are suffering. You have been, you know, knocking back great quantities of Claritin or Zyrtec or Nasonex or Allegra or whatever the thing. You're scraping green gunk off your windshield of your car. You sound like this. You sound terrible. You know, you, this is allergy season. And yet, one of the allergies that I bet you don't realize that you have, one of the allergies that you don't think about, is that all of us have a, deeply, a, a, a deep reaction, a violent reaction, a violent allergic reaction to God. 
And that's what we're going to look at as we look at this life of Jonah, the story about Jonah over the next five weeks, a man who's deeply allergic to God. And I want to look with you this morning at, at three ways that Jonah's allergic. We're going to see how Jonah is allergic to God's authority, allergic to God's grace, and allergic to God's presence. So you ready to jump in? Good, let's jump in. Um, Jonah starts off like lots of other stories in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of blah, 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 right? And Jonah is called, God tells Jonah, go and preach, go and and be a prophet against this country. And the country is several hundred miles away in the east. He lives in in Israel, and he's supposed to go to what's modern-day Iraq, to Babylonia, to the capital city of Nineveh, which is the enemy, the sworn enemy, the new superpower on the horizon that is going to be the, actually the, the country that eventually destroys Israel, destroys Jerusalem. This is the new superpower, and he's called to go and do this. And Jonah says, no thanks, no thanks at all. In fact, he runs, he doesn't just run, he runs. This man goes on a 50-mile foot journey, God says, go east. He's like, I'm going west. He goes 50 miles by foot, and he comes to the, to the Mediterranean Sea. He then buys a one-way ticket as far away as he can get. And he gets on a boat and goes to, it says here, Tarshish, which is in Spain. Now, doesn't matter to most of you like where Tarshish is, but at the time, this is like running to the other side of the world. This is as far away from where he's supposed to be going as possible. When it, it, in fact, the Bible keeps repeating this here. It says, to Tarshish, to Tarshish, to Tarshish. He is, the, the point is, this guy has bought track shoes and he is running. He is not walking. He's not trying to, like, I'm not sure I want to do what God says. This guy's like, I am done. I'm going as far away from God as I can. You know, how many of you, how many of you have ever run away from home? You know, like, running away, like, as if, you know, it can be, Anything from going down to the basement and hiding in the basement to going to your neighbor's house, running away for a few hours or a few days or a few weeks. How many of you have ever run away from home? Yeah, I'm surprised by how many people actually this is the case. That this is a kind of a universal thing. A lot of us have, have done this at one point or the other. The truth is, you know, Jonah runs. Jonah runs away from home because he's allergic to God. He runs away from home because he's allergic to God's authority. God says this, and he says, no thank you, I'm going as far away from that as possible. He is running from God's authority. You know, we're not very different from Jonah. You know, like Jonah, see, many of us have this experience where you're like, you know, it's not that I'm not a Christian anymore, or I don't believe this stuff. It's that I don't want to do what God says. I don't want to do what God tells me to do. And I am running as far away from him as possible. And if, you know, if I sat you down, if I pulled you aside that moment and said, you know, what does the Bible say? Do you believe it? Like Jonah, you would be able to say, yeah, I can, I can tell you what it means. I can tell you stuff about it. I can, I can explain this. But right now, I'm just not into it. I am not into what God is telling me to do. And you may have in your mind, you may have already gone down the road and said, look, I'm going to be back. I'll be back after this summer, you know, after the end of the semester. 
after this deal goes through, it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm just not into this right now. I'm not really into doing what God says right now. You know, we pretend a lot of times, a lot of times we pretend that our great doubts about the Christian faith are philosophical. And look, I don't want to discount anyone here. If you're, if you're really struggling, like, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this Bible stuff, if I can really believe it. You know, that's, there's something to that, and I don't want to pretend like that's all wrong. But the longer I have been a pastor, and the more I read the Bible, I'm convinced that you and I are not as rational. We are not as philosophical as a lot of us think we are. We're not as, maybe as smart as a lot of us think we are. You know, when it comes down to a lot of our, our problems and doubts about the Christian faith, it really boils down to, I don't want to do what God says. I really don't want, I'm really allergic to a God who would have authority over my life. And if I'm really, really honest with myself and with God, the truth is the word there is not doubt, the word there is rebellion. You know, um, probably a lot of you were forced to read a book by Aldous Huxley in high school called A Brave New World. You guys familiar with this title? Or you were supposed to have read this title? And um, Huxley was an amazing philosopher and apologist and, a, and a, a preacher of atheism. He was like, I don't want to believe this is true. This is not the case. And yet in one of his more honest moments, in one of his more honest moments in his book Ends and Means, Huxley writes this. He said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning. And consequently, I found that it had none. I was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for that assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with the problem of pure metaphysics. He's saying, it's not entirely rational. He is also concerned, get this, to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do what he wants. He wrote, For myself and for my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was an instrument of liberation from a system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. What, what's he saying? He's saying, I, I had a lot of reasons that were not just philosophical or intellectual for saying, I don't believe in this stuff. He's saying, I was deep down allergic to a God who would have authority in my life. Somebody who could tell me there's right and wrong and you're on the wrong side of right. You know, Huxley admits, I'm not, I am a runner. I'm allergic to God. And, you know, let's be real. You know, for us this morning, you may not be as conscious of what you're doing as Huxley was. But you may be every bit as deliberate and saying, I am running. I don't want this in my life. I don't want a God like this. You know, today is the day of the Broad Street Run. Probably 30, 40 people from Liberty are running this morning. I think that's, you know, uh, you should only run if you're being chased by a bear. That's personally my own philosophy about that. But, you know, the truth is that all of us are runners. All of us have some tug of war in our hearts where we're like, God... I really don't want you to be God today. I really would prefer if you would take a nap or go on vacation or kind of retire that part of your personality for a little while. I'm allergic to your authority. 
And the truth is that if you want to find a joppa, and if you want to find a boat, you can do that. Right? Here's, here's Jonah, and he's running from God. He puts on his track shoes, and he runs, and he goes to Joppa, which is not an Israelite port. He's going to a foreign city, and nobody's going to say, Hey, Jonah, what are you doing here? Huh, what are you doing here? No one's going to ask him any questions in that place. Nobody's going to stop him and say, Hey, I thought you were that um, Israelite prophet. You're acting so weird today. And the truth is that you and I are people like that. We, if you want to escape, if you want to run from God, you know that there are places that you can go. You know that you can avoid Christians. You can avoid other people in your life who are going to ask you questions. There is a joppa if you want one. So here's what you do. You're like, you know, I don't feel like getting up for service this next couple of weeks. Sort of really tired, you know. Or I'm going to avoid home meeting for a little while. People call you and you answer a phone call with a text message. There are ways that all of us can say, you know what, I don't want to hear from someone who's going to ask me questions and say, why are you doing this? And if you want to run from God's authority, you can find a joppa and you can find a boat. There's always a way that you can run from God. And, you know, like Jonah, Jonah gets on the boat and he starts singing that really cheesy song from the 70s. Sailing takes me away to the, where I always wanted to be. No, you don't know this song. But, uh, you know, he's like, hey, fantasy gets the best of me when I'm sailing. That's the song, okay? Sorry, I'm too old for you guys. But, you know, here he is. What about you? What about you? Are, where are you? Where are you like, I do not want a God who's going to tell me what to do. And therefore, I've found Joppa, and I've found a boat. Where are your intellectual questions? You know, your rational doubts. Are those really true? Are they just a smokescreen for saying, I'm kind of allergic to God right now. He's making me sneeze, and I don't really want to be around him. Why does Jonah run? Why does Jonah run? You know, it's pretty understandable at first blush. Jonah is the only prophet in the Old Testament that I can think of who is told by God, go and preach in another city. All the other prophets, they get this awesome job of, God says, I want you to condemn them, tell them that God is going to wipe them out, but you can do so from the comfort of your own easy chair at home. Jonah, God says, no, I want you to go there and preach that message. And Jonah's like, Really? See, the Babylonians, the place he's being told to go to, are known for their cruelty. These are people who were known. Uh, one of their leaders, Ashurbanipal, uh, a great name if you guys are looking for names for your kids. Um, he was known for tearing off people's lips and hands. Another guy, Tiglath-Pileser, was known for skinning people alive and yet keeping them alive. These are cruel people. So a lot of commentators have said, Jonah is scared to death to go to this place. Um, it's like if, if you're a Monty Python fan, I'm a big Monty Python fan from back in high school. Um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, there's this scene where brave Sir Robin is sent out to fight. And this is the song about brave Sir Robin. It says, Boldly, uh, bravely bold Sir Robin rode forth from Camelot. He was not afraid to, bu- to die. He was not afraid at all to be killed in nasty ways. Brave, brave, brave Sir Robin. He was not in the least bit scared to be mashed into a pulp or have his eyes gouged out or his elbows broken, to have his kneecaps split and his body burned away. 
and all his limbs hacked and mangled, his head smashed in and his heart cut out and his liver removed and his bowels unplugged. You get the, you get, okay? You get the scene. So a lot of commentators have said, surely Jonah is like brave Sir Robin. He, he bravely ran away, right? Well, they don't say it like that, but that's not exactly what they say. But um, a lot of commentators are like, oh, no, he was scared with good reason to take the one-way trip to go to Babylon. But what we find out later on in Jonah, in Jonah chapter 4, is that Jonah actually ends up kind of against his will going to the city, and he preaches there, and there's this huge revival. All these people turn, and this is what Jonah says. He says, Ugh. Oh, Lord, isn't this what I said would happen when I was in my own country? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. For I knew, listen to this, I knew that you're a gracious God, that you're merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah's not like, hey, I'm running away because it's scary. He's running away because God is gracious. He's running away. He's allergic to a God of grace. He's saying, I can't handle a God who would be gracious and kind to my enemies. I can't handle a God who would be kind to people who I don't think deserve it. And that's why this guy is running away. He is allergic to the grace of God. (laughs) Look, deep down, all of us are like this. There are people in our lives that we're like, anybody, I would like to see blessing and happiness fall in anybody's life but her and but him. And you read the book of Jonah and you, you know, what's great about this book, who is the bad guy in the book of Jonah? Who is the one person who stands opposed to God and his, all his promises? Who is the one guy who's like, I hate God today? Who's the one person who's like, I don't get this stuff and I don't want to do what God says? It's the preacher, right? It's the good guy. It's the nice guy. It's the churchy leader. See, what Jonah tells us is this. It is very possible to be a person who's morally put together, a person who from all outward appearances, they'd say, that person should be my home meeting leader. That person should be in leadership in our church. And yet, to be a person whose heart is very alienated, who is running 180 miles away from a God of grace. We are people who are allergic to grace. It's all, we all want it for ourselves, but start applying that to people around you. People in your workplace who are like, this person drives me nuts. The lady at the gym who says things to you that just kind of cut. You know, your good friends, even, who are able to say things and do things that hurt you in deep ways. You don't want grace in those moments. You want blood. That's what Jonah wants. But we're people just like us. Jonah runs away. We're like, I don't want a God like this. <coughs> and third, look what else Jonah's running away from. We're told that twice in this passage something very odd. It says in verse 2, That Jonah is not just running away from what God says. He's not just running away from God's grace. He's running away from the presence of God. Does that strike you as odd? Come on, some of you have have seen flannel graphs all your life. Some of you don't know what a flannel graph is, and you're happy about that. But 
Look, running away from the presence of God, raise your hand if you think you can run away from the presence of God. Right? Yeah, you all passed the test. Way to go. You get an A-plus for church this morning. You know, no, there's, if you ask Jonah, even in verse 9, after this passage, Jonah says, I worship the God who made everything. God is everywhere. He's able to pass the theology exam that you just passed. Where's God? God, you can't get away from God. And yet Jonah is saying, I'm running away from the presence of God. This is said twice. If, if you read a, a couple other translations, they don't include this. They'll say maybe the face of God. But the point is really, really clear in the text. Jonah thinks on some level, even though he would answer the qu- same question the way you just did, that I can get away from God's presence. See, that's how sin works. That's the way sin works in our hearts. Is that on some level, you have to believe that you can get away from God's presence. You have to believe that on some level, you are able to run to where God cannot find you. You know, in the moment when you are wrestling with something, you have to kind of do a little magic trick. Now, think about your favorite magician. Think David Blaine, David Copperfield, Job from Arrested Development, right? All right, so in that moment, right... David Blaine's like, I'm going to make this jumbo jet disappear. You know, I'm going to make this battleship disappear. You know, I'm going to make something huge vanish. It's the great magic trick. Now look, our lives are like this. In order for us to do what we want, in order for us to sin, in order for us to run away from God, we have to say, I made it all disappear. You know, in the pilot episode for Arrested Development... Michael's like, um, Job, I'm so tired of all your tricks. And what does Job say back? They're not tricks, Michael. They're illusions. Right? Now, look, you can call it whatever you want to. You can call it a trick. You can call it illusion. You can call it whatever. But the truth is, our hearts are complicit in saying, I've got to, in that moment, pretend like God is not present. I've got to make God disappear. Sin is running from the presence of God. See, throughout the Bible, if you go back and you read throughout the Psalms, just just read the Psalms, okay? It tells us that God's presence is a place of refuge for His people, right? Think about some of the descriptors. I hide beneath the shadow of your wing. God's not a bird. It's saying like, being near God, that's a place of safety. Your name is like a strong tower. You know, it's no, it's not like the penitentiary. God's, but God's, being with God's presence is a place of safety. You know, I, I sing in your hand. Why does the Bible say these things? Because God's presence over and over is for us a place of security. It's over and over in the Bible a place of us of safety. This is where we find our greatest safety and security. And yet, this is what happens in sin. Is that we take what is the greatest place of security for us, and turn our backs on it and say, no, that is, that, God is my enemy in that moment. See, you guys know this stuff. In Psalm 139, you know, we read, God is in front of you and behind you. He knows what you think before you 
say it. He knows your thoughts. He knows the day he saw you when you're being formed in your mother's womb. He knows the day of your death. He knows a word before it's on your mouth. And yet in our sin, we have to say, God, you are not present here. See, think about how you're like Jonah. How have you been like Jonah just this week? Let's just go back the last seven days. Is there a conversation that you had this week with someone else where you said things you, you, you said things in such a way that you would never have said those things if you were aware in the moment, God is listening. This is a party, this is a, a three-way call. Are there things that you said that you would say, I would never have said that if I was aware of God's presence? What about your eyes? Are there things that you looked at this week? Places you let your eyes wander? That you would say, if I was aware of God's eyes in that moment, I would never have let myself be there. Are there things that you've done with your body this week? That if you were aware in that moment, whether you're a couple or a single, you know, if you were aware in that moment, God is here. God is present as much as he is in this beautiful gymnatorium we're in this morning. You know, the awareness of God's presence is what is a safety. Now, you know, are there some places that you would, you would have said, you know, I am tempted to deny God so I can go to Tarshish. I'm tempted to say God is not real. Are there ways that you have eclipsed the presence of God in your life? You've said, He is not here. Therefore, I can do, I can move, I can say, I can think. God knows what's going on in our heads and what's going on in our mouths and what's coming out of our lives. Sin always requires us to pretend that God is not present. You know, this is, it's, it's funny when you see kids do this, right? When you see people, kids run away from God, run away from their parents. Uh, one of our favorite books as a family is um, it's called Baby Sister for Francis. Francis is a, a little girl. Uh, actually, she's like a badger or something. I can't remember. Anyway, she's, a, she's living at home, okay? And she's probably like five. And she gets mad at her parents because she gets a baby sister. And she decides, I'm going to run away. So she fills up her, her backpack with the essentials and she runs away to under the dining room table. Now, her parents are in the next room and they hear her singing a song about how bad they are and how much she's suffering. And they're just sitting there like... they. You know, and then they call her on an imaginary telephone, and they have a conversation with her, and she decides she's going to come back. Now, what's funny about reading that book to kids is the younger kids don't get it. They're like, oh, she really ran away, you know. And the parents are like, oh, that's a cute story. But the problem is that things are, that are cute with little kids are things that are not cute with adults, right? The ways that we are tempted to say, I can run away from God... And I could be in the next room, hiding under the dining room table, singing songs about my own independence. You know, it's silly. It's foolish. It's not so cute on you. I love what Jonah does. Can you imagine, like, the thought process here? Hey, I think I'm going to run away from God and get on a boat. That's a good idea. Because boats, we all know, have no exit ramps, right? I mean, like, this guy is not getting off this boat. There's one way off. It's going into the water. Or, you know, I, I'm like, when the guy gets, when the guy gets, starts sinning, he gets stupid. 
You know, the only other thing he could have done worse is get up in an airplane. That's the only thing I, I, I can think of that would have been worse than getting on that boat. When we run from God, one of the most profound ways, if you want to be a wise person, one of the most profound things that you could ask yourself, are, where are the ways that I run? How am I running? What are the ways I'm tempted to push God out? Now, this is not the end of the story. This is what I love about the book of Jonah. If I were God, and you better be glad I'm not, okay? Um, and I get confused on that sometimes. But anyway, um, look, in that moment, I would have ended this whole book at verse 3. It would have been the shortest book in the Bible. Jonah runs away and God waves. It's great seeing you, Jonah. Have fun in Tarshish. And yet the book doesn't end with Jonah running away. The good news of this passage, the good news of the book of Jonah, is that God loves runners. God loves runners. Do you see how this guy runs away and God doesn't let it happen? He doesn't let him run. Look, the most hopeful statement here in verse, is in verse 4. What does it say? But the Lord... Jonah runs away, but the Lord hurled a great wind. This guy gets Jesus pursuing him. He gets God coming after him. And you've got to think with me about this. It can't be... Jonah's not like, this is warm and fuzzy. He goes and gets on a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and it's such a violent, severe, and sudden storm that the experienced sailors on this boat are fearing for their lives. They're tossing cargo into the sea. They're like, we are going to die. This isn't a hug from God, but this is God's love. God is coming after Jonah. And his love is violent, it is severe, it is sudden, and it is passionate. Because God loves runners. Look at how he comes after him. You know, Think about this. God is not out in this moment to destroy this man. Everything, the sailors are like, God is going to destroy us. Cry out to your God, Jonah. But in that moment, Jonah's like, Jonah's in a very safe place. See, God is coming after him, but this isn't a payback story. That's how I would write it. God's paying him back. You didn't listen. It's going to be bad. This isn't a payback this is a bring back. This is a win back. This is God coming after him. See, God hurls this storm like right on the ocean here, right on the Mediterranean Sea. And where's Jonah? What's he doing? He's taking a nap. Everybody else is like, we're going to die. And Jonah's taking a nap. In fact, in the Hebrew, the word here for his sleep is like that of anesthesia. He is in such a profound sleep. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 2, where God removes a rib from Adam in order to like make Eve out of this. It's the same word there. It's like this guy is zonked out. This guy is crashed. This is the storm of the century. This is the storm of, Joseph, uh, of Jonah's wife, uh, life. Joseph's wife. Jonah's life. This is the storm of Jonah's life. It's the wake-up call. We talk about this. Hey, I got a real wake-up call. And where is Jonah? He's taking a nap. He is not hearing this. He is not, you know, he's not seeing this. And so the captain comes and wakes him up, probably shakes him awake, and he says, what are you doing? 
Why are you sleeping? And what's profound in this moment is the captain uses the same two words that God had said to him. He says in Hebrew, get up and call. And you've got to know that Jonah in that moment has got to be like, this is the worst nightmare ever. God had just interrupted his life saying, get up and call. And now the captain's saying, get up and call on your God. He's being told to do by this captain the one thing that he does not want to do. I do not want to call on God. I don't want anything to do from God. I'm running away from God. And yet, this man is telling him. See, what's going on in your life today? What's the storm? Some of you are like, I am in the middle. You're like, the storm is raging in your life right now. The waves are high, the wind is fast, and you are asleep in the boat. You know, where is God in your life churning it up? And life is not easy. There's things that are happening that make you very uncomfortable. You're like, I don't think God loves me. And yet, what is God doing? Wake up! He's trying to get your attention. Where do you have friends like this captain who's coming to him and saying, Hey, wake up! Some of you have friends who have been pursuing you and you're not returning the phone calls. People are getting in your stuff and asking questions and you're like, no thank you. Do you hear? God's love in this. This is a love story. This isn't a fish story. God loves runners. God loves runners. What does Jonah learn in this? You can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. There's two other runners I want you to consider in the Bible. One is King David. David was the, what's, you know, like the best king in the history of Israel. A man after God's own heart. And yet, this man is not remembered for his, the quality of his rule, or how wise he was, or the stuff he built. He's remembered for the way he ran away from God. David is up on his palace one morning. He sees a woman, uh, one evening, he sees a woman bathing. She's down in the courtyard, and he's like, i got to get me some of that. He has her brought up to the palace. He sleeps with her. He gets her pregnant. And then he has her husband killed. And then he's okay about that. He's not like, oh, I feel really bad. He is zonked out. He's asleep. And God has to send somebody to his life to say, hey, wake up. Do you see what you're doing? And David does that. He wakes up and he turns around and he writes a psalm. He writes this Psalm 139. He says, God, you search me. You know me. You know my thoughts. You know what's inside my head. You know what I'm going to say. You go in front of me, behind me. You know the day of my birth. You know the day of my death. And he writes this. And yet it's not a psalm of like, I hate you. In that moment, if you read that psalm, Psalm 139, it begins, Lord, you search me and you know me. And it ends with a very strange question. Request. Search me and know me, God. He says, you know what? I find peace and safety in God, the God who outruns, the God who knows, the God who searches. Some of you need to hear this invitation this morning. God is not coming after you to pay back. He's coming back to win back. He's bringing you in. He wants your ear. He wants you to be able to say, search me and know me, God. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story about two sons, right? The younger son runs away 
And it's like, I'm taking, I, I, want, I wish my dad was dead. I want half my inheritance and I'm going to go do whatever I want. And yet when he comes to his senses and he starts walking back home, he looks up and sees his dad is running. See, as much as we're runners, God runs faster. God is a God who run, outruns us. God is the God who loves in this way. Jonah's not about a fish. Jonah's about a God who loves and he runs and he's pursuing and he's pursuing some of you right here this morning. And he is coming after you today. You know, the book of Jonah is a weird book because it begins with a conjunction. It says, if you look at what we read, it says, Now the Lord. And it, it's the only book in the Bible that begins with like this kind of like we're picking up on the rest of the story. And the Hebrews, people like study Hebrew all the time, they, they wrestle with this. Like, why does this begin like this? This is because this book is connected with, in some ways, I'm hitting re, re, you know, reruns, because this book is basically the same story that's told over and over in the Bible. We run, God pursues. We run, God pursues. We run, and God comes after us. This is the same, same story. And God's call for us today, my invitation to you is to put down your track shoes, to take off your shoes, to let God catch you. You know, for some of you, that's like, you've run this week in ways where you've denied God's presence, and you need to say to God, I repent. You've been pretending like you're not there. There's secret stuff in my life like my friend Dave preached on a couple weeks ago, there's secret things in my life that I have been running from you and pretending like aren't real, and I pretend like you don't see. And God's call to you, come and take off your track shoes. So for some of you, you've been running, and you've been saying, I don't want a God who has authority in my life. I don't want a God who can say, you can't do this. I don't want a God who's going to say no to me. The safest place is with that God. Invitations come like David and say, Search me and know me. For some of you, you're like, I am running from God's grace. I can handle His grace for me. I can't handle it for my family. I can't handle it for my dad, for people who have sinned against me, for people in my office. And just like Jonah, the invitation has come. Take off your track shoes. Brothers and sisters, we're invited to a God of grace. God is pursuing and God is this kind of lover. And I want you to discover the love of God, the pursuing, unrelenting, untiring love of God for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.